last time on Either Or. Are you going to get that grand slam of peanut perfectness? Four peanuts in there. Hamlet may have said I could be bound in a nutshell, but you know what? For me, that nut better be a peanut. (laughs) Welcome to another episode of the Either Or podcast. My name is Steve Baldwin and joining me as always, my lifelong friend, Chris Evans. Hello, Steve. How are you doing? I am feeling a bit like Jack Torrance from The Shining. The walls of my Overlook Hotel California quarantine are closing in. I need to go outside, roam around a little bit, play in the snow, find my way out of that maze. Wow, I'm ready to get outside. <laughs> I'm not going to find any snow now, man. It's it's warming up outside. It's beautiful here in Southern California, but I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm hungry. I could use a good meal, Chris. Oh, hair of the dog that bit me, Lloyd. <laughs> uh chris we're doing an interesting topic today steak versus shellfish chris you know i must be losing my mind in more ways than one because i am tackling something here this is terrifying who do we have on the show tell us all about him well chris for today's show we have one of the premier chefs in the southern california food scene he is the owner and operator of the playground restaurant in downtown Santa Ana. His name is Jason Quinn. Jason, welcome to the Either Or podcast. You know, a pleasure to be doing yet another podcast with you, Steve. Um, I do, and I've said a lot of times, but I absolutely love the sound of my own voice. So (laughs) any opportunities uh, to hear it more uh, are good with me. Yeah, Jason was on. Jason was uh, did a guest spot on uh, the Wretched Hive podcast. We uh, interviewed Jason and in a mini episode, you can find that and I'll drop a link for that in the show notes for this episode. So you can find that easily. And um, uh, it's safe to say Jason has some opinions about uh, about food. You know, before you go on a little more, I'll I'll remind you that that was the day uh, (laughs) that I realized that I was just a Star Wars fan because I, I went into that thinking that I was a huge star wars fan and then i talked to you guys and i'm like shit maybe i just kind of <laughs> like this you know maybe 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 i'm not what i thought i was um but no i'm sorry what, what was your although i question? do like i do like the shirt you're wearing today the japanese logo the star wars logo in the starfield that's strong man thank and you Jason, for that I know you, I know you feel i'm a huge fan of eating which is why <laughs> i'm on the other end of this microphone <laughs> You know, anyone who's going to dedicate their life to cooking is a bigger fan of eating than people that spend their life eating. You know, we uh, we're the biggest foodies of them all, man. I've had I've had some bites of food that are blackout good, but I eat them hovering over a trash can, not, not sitting down. <laughs> the, you know, there are these moments that you get where just the things have come together. You're tasting something for the first time, and you just eat it like a fucking animal. And uh, yeah, man, those are those are the kind of perks of being uh, being in the restaurant business for sure. How long have you been a, a restaurateur, Jason? Okay, so Playground opened uh, about eight and a half years ago, so that's how long wow. I have been uh, been okay. living this life. Yeah. And before that, uh, I know you were on a show. You were on a cooking show for a little while, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. we did a, a a food truck race show, which was you know we were contestants on it. I did a uh, twenty episodes as a judge of a of a cooking show that was. You know, produced by MTV, it was probably one of the worst cooking shows ever produced um, <laughs> as far as quality of food made on show, uh, although the judges were top notch. I've seen the show. It's uh, yeah, I, I, I have to agree. And you won. You guys won the food truck show, right? 
Yes, it's true. I, I, I think this is like a, a little bit along the lines of the high school quarterback that, <laughs> that, that runs in the winning touchdown. I did right. that fucking 10 years ago. You know, I, I every single cell in my body has regenerated. Uh, no, no part of me is still the person who won the food truck show. Uh, just right. my name. And there's pictures of a guy that used to be me that that are sitting there winning that, you know, but feels very far removed. And so eight years ago, you opened a playground and then uh, subsequently playground 2.0 around the corner right next door. It's one yep. of our favorite places. We love your restaurant. We uh, we go at least uh, every couple of months. And uh, during the coronavirus crisis, we've been getting a lot of takeout from you. So thanks to you and your staff. Yeah. Kudos to the work you're you're continuing to do. Great we stuff. really appreciate it. You know, um, I, I kind of talked about this a little bit on our social media channels, but you know, my plan, frankly, you know, was to was to go hard, uh, to go for one week and then shut down and weather the storm. And you know, I I, I kind of think that was taking the easy way out. Um, and frankly, you know, the thing that really changed my mind was people reaching out to me, you know, begging me for things that they couldn't find and I had 800 pounds of, you know, Um, people sitting there freaking out about toilet paper. I send one text message and 600 rolls show up the next day. You know, I mean, to, to frankly not be involved in that right now, it feels really irresponsible to not be doing the, the such easy thing of helping people get eggs you know, and butter and milk and flour and, you know, these things that are so, so basically essential that were not limited. They were just being hoarded and, and, and avoiding the super supermarket was something people wanted to do. So frankly, looking at all these people who were begging us to continue staying open and looking at our employees who were concerned about how they were going to pay their rent. It's like, yeah, okay, I mean, I guess I guess closing was the coward, you know, the easy route. And uh, we chose to go the other way. Oh, so you know what's great. absolutely essential there, Jason? Those Brussels sprouts you make. Oh, my goodness. Those things <laughs> yeah. are fantastic. So we, we picked up the other night from you guys. I did get 12 rolls of toilet paper. I, I was I was concerned in the Evans household. Yeah. But uh, the Brussels sprouts, and, and this is to die for. Oh, my goodness. My business plan for you should be this. All sticky toffee pudding all the time. A, a single <laughs> menu, one item, all sticky toffee pudding. You could make a fortune from that. I'll give you the recipe. You open it up, let it rip. And, you know, <laughs> I love it. And I just have to throw in, since we're talking about uh, playground menu items, uh, we talked about the fried chicken on the pre-show, but the bagels, the bagels yeah. you're making, dude, I love those things. They're just, they're, they're, they're pretty perfection, man. It's, really been my, it's been my life for the past month. I've been making, you know, about 140 bagels every single day. And I got to tell you, man, I, uh, I am livid with the bagel industry because they have criminally undervalued the labor that goes into producing <laughs> bagels. Oh yeah. And you know, anyone who's never done it before, I know this sounds crazy, but it is very physically intense uh, to make bagels because mm. your, your timing has to be really, really spot on at all stages, whether it's making the dough. Once you portion the dough, it needs like 20 minutes to rest but 22 is bad and 18 is bad. Ah. So you, you, it has to be this magical unit and, and you have to, you know, portion 140 in 20 minutes and then shape 140 in 20 minutes. And if you don't do that, 
they're not going to come out. You know, so we it takes a whole village of people to sit there and, and, and shape them all. And then once you actually, you know, you overnight proof in the fridge and then when you go to actually cook them, they all have to be boiled and they have to spend 30 seconds aside. They have to get flipped and then they have to get topped. And people who half ass top bagels. They, they they don't deserve to, to have jobs right now. You got to sit there and you got to like, you got to fucking coat the bagel. I mean, this yeah. isn't this fucking, it's not a sprinkle. You know, you got to dip it. You got to coat it. You got to like fucking make sure that there's one perfect layer of sesame seeds all around the bagel. So, you know, it's a, it's a whole thing. And, and I'm, you know, you, I see bagels being sold for 90 cents and I'm like, yo, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> You know? Well, your your bagels are not 90 cents, but they're worth every penny, man. I've enjoyed those so much, and I save them. I'll save them for like a day or two later if, if uh, one of the kids doesn't eat the last one. I'll hoard that thing and uh, make a sandwich out of it in a couple of days. Like, oh, my God, it's so good. Those everything yeah. bagels, love it, man. Yeah, yeah. I realized, and I've talked about this as well a little bit, but I realized in making bagels that they are my favorite food. And, you know... I, it really like like chefs in general, like really successful chefs, they have, for the most part, really powerful connections to food. And me growing up, my my parents were, were shit cooks and we, we food was like punishment to me. So there's not one family recipe that I have that I would ever cook at Playground. You know, I would never put a family recipe on the menu because we don't have a, a, a family dish that is good. You know, we don't. So when you sit there and you and you have this realization that since you were a kid, your the thing that was the first food that you loved that you looked forward to was a bagel. You know, I was raised Jewish, so like going Sunday mornings to, to Barbara and Tom's house and walking in, and, and there always always would be bagels there. You know, and I remember they always had baller fucking spread. They always got the chocolate bagels, the blueberry bagels, the pumpernickel, which I always hoped were chocolate, and then I tasted them; they're very much not chocolate. Um, you know, so so that was it's my favorite food. And so now to be producing them and making them and selling them and having people like yourself uh, say that they really enjoy them, it's it's incredibly satisfying. Yeah, good stuff. So we're talking about steak versus shellfish today, guys. How this is going to go is, uh, Jason, you're going to get two minutes for your opening statement, followed by Chris. Uh, we'll have as much time as feels right to discuss the two. Then we'll do closing statements. Jason first, then Chris. Uh, but first, we've got to uh, get this started. The official either-or way. The stage is set. Let's get to the it. The stage is set. The curtain rises. We are ready to begin. Now you want to get nuts? Come on. Let's get nuts. Okay, you two punks. I want a good, clean fight. I'm listening. I'm invincible. You're a loony. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? You talking to me? Slow ahead. I can go slow ahead. Come on down and chump some of this shit. Is it safe? All right. Let's get it on. Jason, you got two minutes. Your opening statement in support of shellfish. Eating live shellfish is the purest form of enjoyment of food on this planet. For the most part, lots of shellfish is farmed. However, all of the same varieties of shellfish exist in the wild. And the idea of diving down, collecting a king crab from the bottoms of the fjords in Norway, bringing that up, cutting through the ice, getting up, 
and cooking that immediately and enjoying one of the most naturally sweet and decadent things on the planet is the purest enjoyment possible when it comes to food. Shellfish provides such a variety of flavors and textures. Let me just run down some of my favorite individual shellfish. King crab, Dungeness crab, box crab, blue crab, spanner crab, spider crab, hairy crab, manila clams, little neck clams, razor clams, cooey duck clams, cockles, mussels, persebes, shrimp, prawns, gambas, langoustines, crayfish, scallops, oysters, lobsters, and razorfish hearts. There is nothing in the world of land protein that can compare to the decadence and, and incredible luxury of eating perfectly prepared shellfish. They're good raw, they're good cooked, they're good in sandwiches, they're good fried. There is no wrong way to prepare any of these shellfish. Oysters have been uh, uh, grilled, they've been baked, they've been broiled, they've been slurped off the shell, they've been fried and put into po' boy sandwiches. There's an infinite amount of different types of oysters from different coasts of this country that bring different varieties to the table different elements of salinity and sweetness. They're rich in lean proteins, healthy fats. Regularly eating shellfish may boost your immunity, aid weight loss, and promote brain and heart health. That is one minute and 59 seconds of shellfish talk. <laughs> well done, well done. All right, Chris? <laughs> uh, please do not start the clock because I am so screwed in this conversation. <laughs> yeah, did you see the... Did, oh. I don't even know what a fjord is, and I think some of those animals he named are, are mythological beasts like unicorns and manatee, or manicorns, I don't know. So I am screwed. But let's tackle this. I thought I had taken the impossible task to defend the Rolling Stones over the Beatles. Well, that was nothing compared to this. I am debating a world-class chef about food while being questioned by a trained nutritionist, I am going to need a miracle to survive this thing. I usually let you guys, the professionals, tell me what to eat. Unless it's cookies or ice cream or Doritos or pudding. I trust you. Pudding. It was so good. Steve, Jason, I'm just a simple man. But I'm a man who likes to eat. I am half wolf, half caveman. My tastes are not refined. I don't even know what souvé means, or confit, or tartare, or roux. I just know it makes me sad when I hear that word. I get most of my cooking advice from the great British baking show, or Betty Crocker. But what do I know about food? I know one thing, and I believe in it strongly. There's nothing better than a finely cooked steak. I know. Disclaimer here. Nutritionist Steve. Steak is a sometimes treat. I shouldn't have it all the time. And I know, to the brilliantly talented chef that I'm on the show with, you're thinking, Chris, do you even know how to cook that steak? And you're probably correct. I do not. But tonight, I'm calling upon the inspiration of Bobby Flay to be my spirit cooking guide and defend this. I want everyone to stop for one quick moment and visualize this scene. That plate approaches you. You can smell the deliciousness just wafting through the air. That beautifully cooked perfect steak. Maybe it's filet mignon. Maybe it's a porterhouse. Maybe it's a New York steak. It's got that perfect amount of marbling before you start. It's, it's aged to perfection. It's medium rare. It sits on the middle of that plate. You take your knife in one hand, then you take your fork in the other. You cut that middle part. 
you rub it in the extra juices. It's accompanied by potatoes and vegetables and all those other things that are just garnish. But that steak, you raise that fork to your mouth. You slowly bring that divine piece of nirvana up to your mouth. It's rich. It's buttery. It's savory. It's juicy. Mm, I'm ready for it right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I know when I say this, I sound like Matthew McConaughey with that stupid beef. It's what's for dinner. But let me take you back to that perfect steak, that culinary genius that is the steak. So good. So amazing. So, Jason, I say we just stop the show right now. Let's break quarantine. I will drive to your restaurant, to your house. I, you know my order. Steak, please. <laughs> to be honest with you, I do right now have in my fridge uh, one of the most incredible steaks on the planet uh, that, that I'm confident no one else would be eating at the moment. Uh, so, so if you were to come over, I'd be happy to share. But that being said... We're quarantined, so I guess that's not on the table. I'm sorry. That. That's a great Turn excuse. Turn off the mic, Steve. It sounds like I'm ready to quarantine. I'm good. I've got a mask. It sounds like I might have to debate both sides of this today. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'll tell you that I uh, I do think that uh, steak has a very special role, uh, particularly in the American culture. And I see it quite frequently uh, in the in the Asian demographic that celebratory events are steakhouse events, Hmm. you know, and and I do remember the first like when I got uh, accepted to college, we went to steakhouse, you know, like when we came home with good grades, we went to steakhouse. Now, the steakhouse experience, you know, it's very classic. It is that. We're go, you know, there's reason for enthusiasm. There is that that potential perfectly cooked, medium rare, buttery steak bite that awaits us. Now, of course, my biggest uh, argument in what we're talking about here, uh, pro shellfish, is that shell beef, at least the way we eat it right now, is a man-made thing. This mm-hmm. is a lot of animals being fed food that they're not supposed to eat, uh, being kept in ways that they're not supposed to be kept. And being killed, frankly, incredibly young. You know, most beef that we eat is between 28 and 34 months. All of the cows that we eat are male. And all of the cows that we eat are farmed. Almost all of the cows that we eat are are, are grain-fed. And listen, I am not sitting here saying that we should all eat grass-fed beef, right? I don't think grass-fed beef is the flavor of steak. You know, we have this memory of what steak is. And that's why I asked you in that pre-show, Beef or steak, because with beef, you have the option to talk about the braisable cuts, you know, the, the smokable cuts like Texas brisket and things like that. But with steaks, we're really limiting ourselves to filet, ribeye, New York and sirloin. You know, obviously a porterhouse, a T-bone, those are combinations of other steaks uh, of, you know, tenderloin and, and strip loin or, or, <laughs> or you know, uh, sirloin and tenderloin. But. With shellfish, these are all animals that that aren't being, well, not all of them are being farmed. I mean, Dungeness crab, king crab, these are just wild animals that have to be caught. They are living perfectly normal lives up until the second that they meet their demise. And they're they're eating the diet that they're supposed to eat. They're living the way that they're supposed to eat. I mean, do you know what oysters eat? They eat endoplasm. They eat just light and energy and 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 that's it that's what they're they're eating is these little tiny things from the water so when you go to slurp an oyster 
you are literally eating energy and light and, and the things that have fueled this animal being produced. That is something that you cannot replicate in the world of beef eating. You know, you can't. And beef, especially among steak, the textures that we're talking about are ranging from very tender to pretty tender. You know, like that's that's the range of variety in the world of steak. You know, sure, you get fatty pieces, you get lean pieces, but this super tender to pretty tender is that range. But if we're talking about the difference between clams, which can be very, very chewy, and, and king crab, which will absolutely just fall apart, and, and, and mussels that are so buttery and decadent, we're, we're talking about a, a full spectrum of tastes, flavors, colors, different ways that we can apply these things based on where we live throughout the world, ways they can be cooked, ways they can be eaten raw. I mean, really, like, Beef can be eaten raw, sashimi, tataki, tartar, carpaccio, right? Uh, you know, all of these dishes that were all these ingredients that we're talking about have multiple raw applications, multiple cooked applications. This is some of the most prized things on the planet that really have to be consumed live. And so when you eat an animal like this, you're eating the essence of that animal, of its life, of what it ate. And when we're eating a steak, we're eating an animal that's been offered food that it had to learn how to eat, that it was uncomfortable while eating, that there was most likely uh, antibiotics um, that were keeping this animal uh, healthy uh, or, or as close to healthy as we could uh, keep them for 28 months. Uh, you know, with this Japanese Wagyu, these cows are fed mm. beer and sake and massaged to get to this level of prestige where a crab is just caught and seen as that same level. Of prestige so that for me is why when given the opportunity to frankly go on either side of two things that I have a uh, enjoyed and B truly made a career out of selling to people uh, you know it's shellfish for me is a no-brainer because of the variety textures colors flavors and different preparations steak is grilled or pan roasted so, Jason, I blame you for me sitting over here because the first time Steve took me to your restaurant, you had just come back from Japan with that beef you're talking about. And you were so proud of it. And it was one of the best things I'd ever put in my, my mouth. I was so thrilled. And I, I feel like a bit of a Neanderthal having this conversation. You're like the Stephen Hawking talking about the light coming out of the clams. And I'm saying it's beef. It's what's for dinner. <laughs> so I recognize all of that. But I feel bad when you take that little crab and you put him in that boiling water and he, he puts his little claw and he's trying to get out of that pot. I just feel terrible. Yeah, you, you know, um, honestly, I've I've been around enough crabs that have have tried to fucking pinch my finger off that don't give a fuck about me. And listen, um, as much listen, I adore animals. I love wildlife. I I, I take no joy at all in in killing a, a an animal. And and for me personally, the best individual dish on the planet uh, is a dish from a restaurant. Uh, in the very, very, very north of Sweden called Favakin, which is currently closed. And this, there is like a two and a half minute video of the guy, Magnus Nielsen, uh, producing this dish called King Crab with Almost Burnt Cream. And the only way that you can produce the crab this way is by working with it while it is still alive. Now, now, I did this dish for our Cheat Code mm. Center where we do uh, dishes from 22 of the best restaurants in the world. Uh, and I had to break, I had to kill a live king crab uh, with my bare hands 
every single day that we ran this menu like 18 times and I fucking hated every second of it. I hated every second of it. You, there's no joy in doing it at all. But if you are going to be in a situation where you are uh, going to be doing this dish, that's the way that it's prepared. And because I know you're going to ask me, Steve, I will walk you through what the dish is. Okay, so first of all, uh, you take the crab, you kill it live, and you you separate uh, the mirus from the shell. Now, the mirus is what we would call uh, our femur, right? Uh, that the ver- our very very longest bone uh, in our leg. That's that really beautiful chunk of meat uh, that is for me the best individual shellfish bite on the planet. Mm. Uh, uh, the king crab mirus, um, and you have to very very delicately remove the meat from the shell because when it cooks the meat pulls off the shell it's very easy to pull out but because it's raw the the actual protein inside the meat attaches to the inside of the shell so you need to get in there with a very flat tool and kind of pull it off away from the shell and then once you do that you brush that with cultured butter and you grill it from raw like you know really really hard sear on both sides and when it comes off the grill i cannot reiterate how sweet and buttery and decadent it is. I almost never season king crab with salt because I always say that it has been brining its entire life. You know, mm. these animals have been brining their entire right. life. Right. need additional salt. So anyway, you just grill it on both sides. And when it comes out, it is frankly too sweet. It's too sweet. So you spritz it with Atika vinegar, which is a, a Scandinavian vinegar uh, that's very, very harsh, but it has this perfect ability to cut through that sweetness of the crab. And that goes on the plate and next to it, they take a screaming hot cast iron pan and they have already measured the exact amount of cream that fits in that pan one layer. Let's say it's like 200 milliliters, right? So the pan is like, change your life hot and then you take your 200 milliliters of cream you pour that in and as soon as the cream hits the pan it's like dancing you know it's like it doesn't it can't even sit there on the pan it's so hot so it's immediately caramelizing and you just you don't stir it you don't do anything you just sit there and watch it and at a certain point it turns this shade of color where it is like burnt on the bottom and perfectly reduced on top and at that point you turn the skillet you scrape all the good stuff out you kind of re-emulsify it back together and you put a fucking dollop of that next to the crab and that's it wow. that's the whole dish wow can I, rescind, can I rescind what i'm arguing for <laughs> because that sounds amazing that was that was like disarming i i, I can't follow that up you could have put a live supermodel with no clothes on and you could have described that food and i would have chosen that food okay that sounds amazing yeah, and when you sit there and you you get and you know what's really amazing about that dish and and it's a little bit more about the chef Magnus Nielsen, but the restaurant Favakin is as they kind of call it seven hours from nowhere. You know, like like it's it's on the way to nowhere. You're going there because you're going to Favakin, and they are in a dairy town near where king crabs are caught. Right, so this is really for me a dish that could have only been invented by someone that was bound to a limited selection of ingredients. And they just looked around and said, well, we have amazing dairy that comes from right over there and amazing crabs that come from right over there. I guess that's what we have to work with. And that's the only way that we, that dish could have been created. And one of the reasons that I love that dish is I did not have it in me to create that. I was never going to be the guy who said, let's do this and, and produce that. And when I actually went through and did it and ate it, 
it was uh, truly the best bite of food I've ever had. Hmm. Now, Jason, what about the shrimp we eat or we get in, in restaurants? Now, your restaurant might be a little bit different than most, but I mean, is the shrimp that we eat farmed or is it generally like fresh? I am not debating that all shellfish is great. I am saying okay. that shellfish has the ability to be the absolute best because you are correct that shrimp that is any anytime you're going somewhere and you're buying shrimp, you know, like just shrimp. Yeah, you're getting you're getting a garbage product. I mean, it's you're getting uh, a product that was most likely farmed in Thailand or Vietnam uh, in particularly poor conditions, uh, and if it's been sold to whoever the restaurant is, peeled, deveined, no tail then that is a product that's been treated with tons of chemicals and that is not a product that we serve and that's not a product that I eat. Okay. Now, if you are going to go and have a uh, Dublin Bay prawn or a gambas, uh, a langoustine, you know, a black tiger prawn, you know, someone's going to go out of their way, even a, a Gulf, uh, Gulf brown shrimp or a live red ridgeback prawn or something like that. If you're going to eat something like that, if someone's gone out of their way to really describe what the animal is that they're selling to you, that's something that I'm willing to stand behind. But just like if you go to a restaurant, it just says beef, you know, you can't, right. you're not under the illusion that you're eating a, an aged American prime steak. You know, you're, you're probably having select or choice and probably something from like the round or the eye, which is not exciting stuff. You know, you go to a pho shop and you're getting four ounces of rare, rare steak sliced yeah. in there. That's, that's just top round. I mean, that's probably three, $4 a pound from, you know, not an exciting farm, potentially previously frozen. You know, when you're going somewhere and you're seeing 24 ounce dry aged bone in never ever prime ribeye. Okay. Well now, you know that you're buying something like I, and for what's worth, I don't really operate in a world where that stuff really exists. So, so when we're mm. talking about beef, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt that we're talking about a, a, a well-raised, uh, intelligently processed and aged cattle, uh, that, that, you know, that Chris is defending. He's not really fucking saying anything. Um, but, but what anyway. am I supposed to say? I'm an English teacher for God's sake. <laughs> Everything you're describing sounds amazing. I just want to so go I eat. Course, I, will tell you, um, I will tell you about the best beef that I've ever had in my life. And I will also tell you about the most exciting beef that we have ever received at the restaurant. So, um, in, in Spain, uh, they have a breed of cattle called La Rubia Gallega, and uh, I had it prepared uh, by a gentleman named Baitor, who is the chef of a restaurant called Asador Echevari, uh, deep in the Basque country of Spain. And for me, that is the best restaurant on the mm. planet. This is a grilling master that produces his own grilling equipment, his own charcoal, and he takes perfect ingredients, and he perfectly cooks them, and he puts them on a plate. You wow. Know, that, wow. That's, that's incredible. You have your own matador cape and your own little thing to stab it to because <laughs> what am I supposed to say that? <laughs> well, this, so I, so we've had that beef there and that's the best beef there. Ever been He's helping you beef. out, Chris. Just, just listen, just listen. It's best <laughs> to just am. step away and listen. Uh, All right, I'm, sorry, I'm, sorry, I'm like Jason. to knock on his door and ask him <laughs> to cook for me. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but the, uh, the, we were, we were actually, you know, so, so when I'm there eating that, I, I text my purveyors, and I'm desperate to try and get the Rubia Gallega beef in the restaurant so I can feed it to guests. And I was heartbroken to find out that that animal is not uh, it's it's not really available in a, to, to import into America. Now, there's a gentleman in Robbins Island, Tasmania, 
that buys the retired breeding cattle from this type of beef and actually has them shipped to Tasmania where they live for a minimum of 60 months wild on the island eating grass, doing whatever they want, and they're usually slaughtered between the years of 12 and 15. And that right there uh, is called the Galiciana, and uh, we, we were able to get that product, which is a female cow, 100% grass-fed, 12 to 15 years. It's so different from male cows, corn-fed, yeah. under three years. Uh, and then and then we went one step further. The, the, the company that produces that beef has also one uh, rank above it called the Matriarch, and that is where they actually take the breeding cattle from the A5 Japanese Wagyu and do that same type of treatment. And um, there's only uh, two cases of that beef produced worldwide uh, every week. So that stuff is uh, wow. is pretty fucking insane. And I did have the opportunity to buy some. Unfortunately, I got it just about a week before our shutdown. So I, uh, I wasn't able to sell it all. And I'll tell you what, the first thing that I did when I heard that we were going to be uh, – that we were going to be shutting down is I grabbed the, one of the loins and brought it upstairs and hoarded <laughs> it uh, in my uh, in my thing. And my son looks at me and he goes, "What are you doing, Dad?" I said, "Hoarding." And he goes, "Oh, I love hoarding." <laughs> <laughs> now, Jason, is there any is there any source in the U.S. that has anything comparable to the that, for instance, that Japanese wagyu that you so, that you served to us when Chris and I were there? Because that that was absolutely the best the best piece of food I've ever had. So I really appreciate the fact that you said piece of food and not the word steak, because although that was technically from ribeye, that is the part that we all call the steak. I, I, I feel that that beef is so much closer to the experience. If you're big sushi fans, if you go eat mm. the leanest portion of the tuna, that's called akami. And that section is really where all the flavor of the tuna is. Really, really talented sushi chefs can taste from the akami section what this fish ate uh, for the majority of its life. Whereas the otoro section of the tuna is very, very predictable from one fish to another to another. It's fatty, it's rich, it's decadent. It's really more of a texture and a sensation than it is a flavor and frankly that a5 wagyu when grilled over charcoal the way i prepared it for both of you that's really the flavor of salt and fat and charcoal and very little of the flavor that we associate with steak mm. you know whereas mm -hmm. whereas i would say like an american choice ribeye is inherently the flavor of our memory of steak. Mm -hmm. So where one of these is an eating experience, uh, the melting on your mouth of, of, of fats that have were, been incredibly hardly coerced out of feeding unique diets to special cows and keeping them in this suspended state of tipsiness so that they're very, very relaxed and low stress levels and massaged by topless women. Like, you know, the <laughs> whole thing. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't really think that it's 100% fair to this conversation, to anything, to really call that uh, steak. Uh, I do, I, I really do think it, it kind of is its own category. Um, but but piece of food and, and melting and all that stuff, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's something that everyone should have three times in their life. Yeah. Now, not 10 and not one, but three times is like, it's that right amount. I mean, I've personally gotten to a point where, where you won't find me 
uh, eating a five wagyu. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not shitting on it. I'm not saying that you're an asshole if you eat it. We sold a fuck ton of it today at the restaurant. <laughs> all, all I'm saying is that, is that for me personally, I don't really eat that much beef as it is because I, I just find it to be very predictable. I find it to be uh, something that. You know, I, I'm not learning new things about beef as I continue eating it. Mm. And with shellfish, I, I, I feel that I am. Uh, and, and more importantly, you know, with beef, uh, you know, I, I've, I'm in a unique situation having cooked the ultimate steak dinner, uh, you know, for 30 weeks a year uh, for the last seven years. I mean, I have had more uh, world class uh, beef than, than any, anyone that's going to listen to this. And, and I used to be in a situation where I was, uh, you know, eating every piece of trim I could from the cutting board. And now I'm like, you know, you guys can have this. It's cool. I don't, I don't need to <laughs> You've had your fill. Uh, now, hey, hey, Jason, Jason, you're such a great chef. I'm curious. How would you cook that porg up behind Steve's, uh, Steve's head there? I know you're a big Star Wars fan. What would you do with porg? <laughs> it looks like something that have to be, it would have to be slowly cooked. It would look like it could get pretty tough if you... <laughs> A chewy was roasting o- over an open fire, so you know, like uh, maybe skewer that thing and roast it over an open fire. Maybe some charcoal. I think so. I think <laughs> so. <That's> my taste. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, uh, I just have a question for Chris. Chris, I want to bring you into this conversation. I've had some great meals at your house too. Now, Jason is a world class chef. You are pretty good with the barbecue, Chris. You have ha- made shrimp for me on your barbecue, and it's good. I and now I and I, I've I've really enjoyed it, Chris. Where do you get your recipes for what you barbecued? I, I go onto the playground.com recipe book. <laughs> and, Great answer. And, <laughs> you know, Steve, uh, I I don't know what to add to this. I I am just sitting back taking this in. My my, my taste again. You know, growing up in the rural South, my thought of 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 shellfish was was crayfish. I mean, it's something you'd practically get out of a, a ditch. Right. You, you pinch the tail, you suck the head. Um, you know, so 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 what I try to do is, uh, I don't know, cook it for you and not get you sick. That's my goal. <laughs> give give you four beers before I serve it to you. That makes it better. Jason, have you, have you done anything with crayfish? Yeah, of course. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The... I mean, honestly, like um, <clears throat> I remember reading uh, reading David Chang's book uh, back in 2004 and kind of having him wax poetic about it. And I remember the first time we got like 200 pounds of crayfish delivered live to the restaurant. And I remember opening a box and just looking down and thinking, what a fucking mistake (laughs) that I've done. (laughs) All right, guys, this has been fun. I think it's, it's, we've come to the time for closing arguments. Uh, Jason, uh, Jason, you go ahead and uh, you go first. Uh, Jason, your closing argument for shellfish. Or steak, whichever one you prefer, my friend. Please take, please take both. Are you both? Okay, because <laughs> I'm in. Uh, hold on, one second. One second. Uh, you got it. No problem. I, I'm, I'm dealing with people trying to pick up their food and texting me about it. Okay. Oh, I wouldn't know anything about that at all. Steve, Steve this like is. Uh, I, I, I Do you have any bagels left? This is going to be my worst ass kicking on this show of any any topic ever. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't wow. know, I, I thought I thought Isabel kicked your ass pretty well with uh, yeah. Harry Potter versus Lord of the Rings, but um, I think this was I think this one's worse, frankly. Uh, this is a <laughs> this is a massacre. Uh, and wait, so Harry Potter beat Lord of the Rings? 
Uh, it did. It did. I had my my 18 year old English major daughter, who is the world's biggest Harry Potter fan, and she came loaded for bear. I was being nice, dad, just trying to, you know, take it easy. She was out for blood. <laughs> and she she's a she's an evil genius. The way that yeah. you are with food and um and English football, she is with she is with Harry Potter. <laughs> and and who won who won Beatles Rolling Stones? Uh, that one's still that one's tied up right now. The voting is tied for that. Who uh, votes? Uh, listeners can vote through a link in the show notes. So oh, they will be able to vote for this as well. I cannot wait to see the votes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So uh, we're, we've come to the t- Yeah, we've come to the time for uh, closing arguments. Jason, your closing argument for shellfish or steak or whichever one you want to take. <laughs> uh, I will. I will take where I started, which is shellfish. And uh, in some nation, I believe that shellfish has the same role within our society as far as the luxury aspect of having great shellfish. And this is even proof that many people go to steakhouse restaurants and start with shellfish platters as opportunities to have perfect little bites before they get into eating 16 ounces of identical taste and texture from left to right on their ribeye or their filet. As we've talked about, there are so many different types of shellfish that allow for hot cooking, cold cooking, raw service in a way that you could truly never get sick of the different preparations. These are fish or, or animals that are eaten on all continents throughout the world. So there are so many different ways to approach these, whether it's drying or smoking the meats and using that as the base of an XO sauce like traditional Hong Kong cuisine, or making a more Belgian approach and just simply cooking some mussels and pairing them with some frites. And uh, of course, we have so many different traditions of how to prepare shrimp throughout the world, as well as the raw oysters and cooked oysters. And I could truly never get sick of the pure flavor of fresh, unadulterated ocean that has never been affected by human beings. Beautiful, beautiful. Well done, Jason. Well done. Chris, you're up. Closing arguments for steak. You know, Steve, Jason... I just might as well pass. (laughs) I mean, my God, what am I supposed to say? Jason, I'll give you an apology first and simply say this. I I was raised in the rural South. You know, our idea of shellfish was was usually something deep fried and breaded. Uh, You know, you felt as though you're eating like barnacles flambe or something. It was pretty bad. Um, Even when I got a little older and, and they would serve me shellfish, it was like this frightening thing. They would bring these instruments of torture you know things that you crack it with and little forks to stab it with and a bib i felt a bit like a serial killer you know like what what are you going to kill now you pick it out yourself so i'll simply say uh perhaps i've been eating the wrong shellfish and, and, uh, <laughs> maybe i just need to, to pass on this and say i can't wait to come to your restaurant let you let you you make me some great food some great shellfish so i can i can learn a bit more so Teacher becomes student. I can't wait to eat. I'll just pass on the whole steak part. Done. <laughs> Jason, we do, we do need to now recreate that bite from Favakin that I told you about the the king crab with the almost burnt cream. We do. Oh, uh, let's do we it. We need to get to it. I'm down. I, I always hear about Donald Trump eating his steak with uh, ketchup. That's what I feel like trying to argue against <laughs> you, and as, as though what I've been doing. So I can't wait to have that 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 dish. You send me a text. I am there. Good, good, good. Jason, tell us about uh, Playground, what you got going on there, and how can people find out about it? 
Well, we are uh, we are kind of just making it happen right now, serving a whole bunch of uh, prepared food that is ready to eat right away, uh, as well as a combination of take and bake kits that just need very little assembly uh, to be enjoyed perfectly at home. For instance, today we were selling uh, wild boar meatballs, wild boar pasta kits, cinnamon rolls, bagels, past- uh, roast beef kits, locks, all of that stuff across the board, things to be enjoyed uh, as you uh, as you prefer when you get home. Uh, and then, of course, we're selling a whole bunch of pantry ingredients. We've kind of found some of the things that we really love cooking with. We found them in food service packs so that they're in appropriate size containers that people like yourselves can buy them and be truly cooking with the same exact quality of ingredients that we do have uh, at home or that we have at the restaurant. You can do that at home. And, of course, we're also, uh, as the ABC uh, realized that restaurants would never survive without being to sell alcohol. Uh, we're selling cocktails to go, beer, wine, and uh, we have some incredible spirits available. I'm not sure when this will air, but um, frankly, there's so many people that are usually competing for the same availability of uh, really high-end spirits, and now we are just about the only people buying anything. So, uh, for instance, there's a, a bourbon called Weller 12, and usually we just get uh, two bottles a month. Uh, that's usually our allotment. And, uh, and now we're able to get 36 bottles a week. And this is a, a, a bottle that we pay $20 for, and the internet has the lowest price available at, tw- at 200 So we're clearly getting this incredible stuff right now that's really never expensive because of what it costs to produce. It's expensive because there just isn't a lot of it, and it's very highly coveted. So we're in a very good spot where we're able to undercut the market by $50, uh, still make good profit on our own end, and be able to provide something for people at home that they have a very hard time getting a hold of. Just today, we sold over 25 A5 Wagyu steaks uh, to people at home. And um, you you might not know this, even though you were uh, coming on here to, to, to debate about beef. But anyway, there's um, a <laughs> Japanese scale of marbling uh, that goes from A1 to A5. But that only really works to grade Japanese beef. So a worldwide scale was created called Beef Marble Score, which goes from 1 to 12. And Japanese Wagyu sits between Beef Marble Score 8 and 12. And usually 12 never, ever, ever makes it uh, out uh, out of the country of Japan. But because right now people aren't buying it, we were actually able to procure almost 60 pounds of Beef Marble Score 12 Japanese A5 Wagyu, and we're currently selling that right now uh, to the home consumers so they can cook it and enjoy it at home. And normally we're in a world where that product is about $30 an ounce uh, for people to buy uh, prepared at restaurants, and we're currently selling it at $6.25 an ounce. So that is $100 a pound for those of you that didn't uh, put that for those that aren't math teachers. Math is hard. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, Steve, if you can hear that ringing, that ringing noise, that that would be the culinary supernova that's been just dropped on my head by Jason, <laughs> and the sound of his doorbell ringing because I want all that stuff that he's describing right now. So. And Jason, how do people find you on uh, social media and otherwise? So I uh, do not think that myself, Jason Quinn, is an important person to follow. However, I represent the uh, the restaurant. Uh, and myself. So I go under Playground DTSA across all social media platforms. Of course, we're most active uh, on Instagram. We've been doing a, uh, a live show every day at 1130 a.m., kind of talking about the new stuff that we have available that day. 
Um, and frankly, as we uh, as we know that the restaurant industry is going to take a very long time to come back to what it was, uh, we are preparing for, frankly, a new style of service by doing these uh, videos. We understand that our servers are going to have to wear masks, and it's just so challenging to have uh, descriptive conversations about the food when you can't really talk to someone. So our plan moving forward is to have that 1130 video, frankly, act as our menu mm. and hopefully have uh, people ordering directly from that before they arrive so that we are able to uh, make sure that everything is ready and have as minimal contact as possible, but still have our guests informed about all the things that we have and getting to know some of the fun facts. It's kind of a dream for me the ability to to be talking directly to our guests is something that, of course, I look forward to and uh, hope that both of you uh, are able to join us uh, relatively soon. I say that because we intend to, to, to stay closed for an additional two weeks after we are allowed to open. Um, we we uh, are not confident that the proper precautions have been taken and we're simply not ready to uh, put our staff at risk yet. Got it. Good for you. That sounds great. All right, Jason. Thanks so much, Chris. Let's get out of here. Did you ever have to make up your mind? Pick up on one and leave the other behind. It's not often easy and not often kind. Did you ever have to make up your mind? It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Cake or death? That's a pretty easy question. Anyone can answer that. Cake or death? Uh, cake, please. There can be only one. You don't choose the things you believe in. They choose you. The hardest choices require the strongest will. For the love of God, shut your mouth. Okay, listeners. It's time to cast your vote for steak or shellfish. And all you need to do is click the link in the episode notes in your podcast app for this episode. You can also find the link on our Facebook page or Twitter. That's at either or show. We're also on Instagram at the same handle at either or show. We're counting on you to help decide which is better steak or shellfish. So go vote now for Jason Quinn and Chris Evans. I'm Steve Baldwin reminding you. Choose, choose. choose wisely.